Now it's time for the Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. While I had another podcast all lined up for you, it was ready to go, I was ready to publish it, and a funny thing happened on the way to publication, and that is that Disney changed its pricing structure. Now, I'm not here to tell you all about the pricing structure and what it all means and that sort of thing, but it got me to thinking about what Disney is and what they're doing as a corporation. Now, let me explain. So, way back, when Walt Disney created Disneyland, he had this idea for a place he could take his daughters and have some fun. It was an amusement park like no one had ever seen before. It was something different. It was clean. It was neat. It was orderly. And it was a place where he could spend time with his daughters on a Saturday afternoon. That was the intent. And it really became something great. It was a wonderful thing, and Southern Californians loved going there and had a great time. But what really made it tick was this sense of imagination that he had going on. Certainly a lot of it was funded through bank loans and various things that he was doing as a business. But he was also funding it through innovation and change. He had all of these companies lined up who wanted to take part in what he was doing, who wanted something in return. They would give him some operating capital. They would give him some ability to have some autonomy to build something. And in return, they got the technology and they got to share in it. It was a partnership where everyone won to a large degree. There were so many things happening and so many pieces that that fit in. So you'd see companies with their logos emblazoned on things in some cases, like, for example, the speed ramps that you see at the various parks. Those speed ramps were sponsored by Goodyear. So there's the big Goodyear logo there. So they worked together as a partnership, and in return for the product that they could use to have the the speed ramp, they got something, Goodyear got some, some publicity out of it, and they got something out of Disney in terms of some of their design and imagination. So there was a true partnership there. And when he envisioned Walt Disney World and the complex he wanted to build there, that was really it. It was about technological innovation, about working together as companies and as nations to come up with ideas and solutions to make things work, to work together in a partnership. And the money would come from that, and that was a large part of it. Because in the altruistic world, if everyone's working together, everyone wins. But here we are. It's 2016, and things have changed. What the Disney company realized is that it's more about the bottom line. And that's not meant as an insult to the Disney company. That's the way companies are around the world these days. It's all about the bottom line and profitability and all of these things. So you listen to the news and you read the headlines about Disney, and it's really no different than any other company. See if any of this sounds familiar. The company is making money, yet they want to cut some of their expenses. The company has figured out ways that they need to protect themselves from it, and ever-increasing scrutiny comes along, and everyone wants their share. It just kind of goes like that, and you hear all these stories. So my problem here is it's just that Disney has always been different from the rest. Disney has always prided itself on being something unique and different, and now they're acting more like a corporation. When you hear them start talking about taking away some of the events that they used to have that they would offer to annual pass holders, and they would offer to locals, and they would offer to uh, to different people, 
and everything becomes sort of these one-off separately priced events, you start to realize that they're thinking more like a corporation. It's not about the guest experience as much as it is finding a way to monetize that guest experience. Sure, over the years there have been little things that have always happened like that, but you're starting to see more and more of it. A lot of the things that were included, like some of the dance parties and some of the things, are now becoming separate parties. The dessert parties are hugely popular and hugely profitable, so of course Disney wants to maximize that. And I get it. I'm not faulting them for that per se. I'm just making an observation here that things have certainly changed. And then you hear about they're cutting character experiences and they're cutting cast members hours and they're doing things to try to chip away at the expenses that drive their business. So they'll perhaps have two registers open in a retail store instead of three. Or they'll make some other changes to uh, some of the character experiences so you get to see fewer characters while you're there or you have to kind of find the times that they're, that they're available rather than being there all the time. Or perhaps you have to wait in line a little bit longer for something. But with the Magic Bands and FastPass Plus, some of those lines won't seem as long because you're already kind of predisposed to going somewhere. And if you're pre-ordering your food and they know what the capacity is going to look like at a restaurant, they can definitely staff differently. So it sets the model in place where they can do things differently than they've ever done and try to account for how much they're going to spend on operations. Now, maybe they cut the maintenance budget a little bit, or maybe they put up more of these facades so they can work behind the scenes, and instead of taking three days to repaint something, they could take three weeks to repaint it. Will it really matter in the long run? Probably not, because they, they have these beautiful facades that make it almost feel like it's the right thing. Plus, of course, they're spending a lot of money on things that they're enhancing, like building Star Wars Land and Toy Story Land and building Shanghai Disney and the other things that cost them money to, uh, to build and create. So I can understand why they're trying to cut some of their capital expenditures to some degree. And then there was the story about internally there was a memo that was sent out to regular salaried employees asking them to contribute to the political action committee, the Disney PAC. Now, that sounds on the surface like something that's a little bit in your face. But believe me when I say they are not the only company to do this. Lots of companies have their own political action committees that promote the company's best interests, not the employees, and they ask the employees to contribute. Now, they never ask the hourly employees to contribute because that's a slap in the face. But the people who are salaried, who have somewhat of a vested interest in the company, they ask them to contribute to the overall well-being of the company. Now, whether people do it or not, that's their personal choice. Uh, whether they think it's a right, the right thing to do or not, but it's not uncommon. That's the reality of it. And on a related note, think about the story that's been going on about the people in the technologies part of the organization who were told that they were going to be replaced by people on H-1 visas to come over and work for Disney, and they had to train them to do their job or they wouldn't be eligible for their severance if they talked about it or they didn't do it. It's one of those things that, again, you see this happening at a lot of companies. It, it's more or less a typical thing of what's endemic in the industry these days. It's not just about Disney. And it's unfortunate that it happens at Disney, but it's something that you see all the time. The H-1 visa problem is a whole issue, and I don't want to get into the politics of any of it. But when people talk about, when politicians talk about we need to stop the flood of illegal immigrants and all this other stuff, the problem is much bigger than that. The problem is really about the flood of legal immigrants that are coming over on H-1 visas and are being put into jobs where they're being paid less than their American counterparts. And in typical fashion, what happens is the number of employees that are hired by the company is relatively small compared with the number of people that get the H-1 visa who come over and do the same job for less money. And it seems to be an endemic problem, and it's you could say it's systemic, too, because it actually starts in Congress, where they've created these rules, and trickles down to all these very large companies who try to manipulate the system to make their profitability better, to improve their bottom line. And again, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. 
Now, from Disney's perspective on the H-1 visas, they actually say that they were offering all the people that were displaced and had to train their replacements other jobs in the company, and it wasn't quite what the people make it out to be. And that's typical corporate speak. You've heard that from other companies, too. I'm not saying that Disney is unique in that. And what this leads me to is that Disney has become a corporation just like every other corporation, where it started off as something that Walt built that was supposed to be a place of fun. It's become something much more. It's always about the bottom line. And what you're starting to see is more and more of that now, where the bottom line becomes the most important part of everything they do. I've talked many times in the past about how Disney continues to change and manipulate and evolve in some way. And yet they've always managed to exceed my expectations still. Now we're reaching that point that I call the tipping point, where I'm not 100% convinced that they're going to be able to deliver at that same level and exceed my expectations continually, given all the things where they're thinking about themselves as a corporation instead of as an entity that's having fun and is about the general well-being and you know having fun. Look, they've introduced Disney Vacation Club over the years, and I've had my own issues with that. And again, on a future podcast, I'll talk about Disney Vacation Club and what I think about it. In the Vacation Club, Disney has created sort of a beast. You know, it's a multi-headed beast with people expecting more and paying more and uh, providing more, but continually leading to asking for more. And so Disney is responding by giving them more. And I understand completely the leveling of the playing field. And I'm okay with that. In the general sense, as a a relative local, going to the parks and enjoying myself, you know, I've always had the advantage, being the person who's local. And Disney has tried to tip the scales back to more of the vacation club and some of the other premium pass holders and things like that who come more often and spend more money. And I get that, and I can appreciate that. And as long as I still get that value out of my proposition, I'm still good with it. But it becomes harder and harder as time goes by. And that leads me around to this whole thing about the uh, surge pricing and the difference in pricing. So now effectively what they're saying is there will be different price points for different days, different times of the year. If you buy a vacation package through them, you'll have it all taken care of. It won't matter. They'll just adjust the price accordingly and they'll make it all work. If you happen to be someone who takes advantage of it differently and wants to buy a pass, say a single day pass that, uh, that you use, you'd have to pay based on the day you're there. I get it, and that makes sense, but what happens when you cross over multiple days or you buy multi-day passes? They haven't announced the details yet of what that's going to mean and how it's going to work for multi-day passes and how that's going to all fill in. But I have to wonder if it's going to change the value proposition a little bit, because now it becomes harder and a little more complicated. From what I gather, in uh, times past, Disneyland Paris has tried this experiment with different pricing models. And because of the way people use Disneyland Paris and come to it and spend a a small amount of time there, there have been times when people have come to the park intending to use a five-day pass, let's say. They use three of them, they get there on the fourth day, and it's a different season, so they actually have to charge them more. So the cast member at the gate has to tell them they have to go talk to guest relations where they may have to buy another day's pass or add on to it at additional cost. And meanwhile, they have to wait in line at guest relations in order to make the adjustment and then come back and go in the park. And it, it's not a good customer experience. And that's where the problem comes in. You know, How do you purchase your tickets and know when you're going and what you're doing? I know as a Florida resident, I buy an annual pass and I'm okay with the way it is. But as you know, and I take my wife and kids at sometimes. Now, they don't have annual passes generally, but sometimes they do. You know, so I have to kind of plan around it to make, sh- make sure I'm deciding when we're going and buying the right kind of ticket and getting the right value for what I'm doing so that I'm not buying something that doesn't have value for the times that we're going. 
and they've just made it much more complicated to go and do things. Now I know that they're trying to push the vacation packages, and that's why they're doing some of this stuff, again, to even the playing field and to take the locals and change their perception of the parks and how they use the parks. Look, even in the annual passes, they added parking for many of the passes, so that way people would be able to take advantage of it, because people found ways to game the system to avoid the parking. And... I know that there were a lot of complaints from people who were vacation club members who were saying that people were coming over and parking and you know taking away spaces from the vacation club members and making them walk further, and that became a problem. And I get it. Again, it's not, it's not that I'm faulting Disney. I think it was a really good thing. That was a very positive thing they did. It's just kind of the way it plays out and the way the field keeps getting leveled and some of the things that change. It's just become somewhat evolutionary, and now you're starting to see more of the fruits of that evolution, and there's goods and bads that go along with it. Again, to this point, Disney has still been able to exceed my expectations. Whether they will continue to be able to do so remains to be seen, but at the moment, it's still good. So you can almost view it as Disney having different eras. It's the era of Walt Disney, who had the vision and had this idea for how he was going to make his parks work. Then you had Cardwalker, who kind of kept the momentum of what Disney had, but didn't have any new visions to be able to do things. He continued on the work that Disney was already working on. Then you have the Michael Eisner era, where he revived the brand and brought it back to something of prominence, and also created more of a media empire. Goods and bads with that, not saying it's necessarily bad, but there was a lot of cost-cutting under Eisner, and a lot of things changed when he was the CEO. Some for the better, some not so good. Of course, there were a couple of more high-profile accidents that occurred during the Eisner era, partly because he changed the maintenance schedules and, and did some things differently, but also partly because, at this point, the park had aged a little bit, and things needed some general repairs. But it's hard to pin it all on him. It's certainly not about something specific he did. It's just, generally speaking, that's interesting that it happened at that time. But he also created that media empire, acquiring ESPN and ABC and several of the other big networks and moving the movie, movie studio and the productions to bigger and better things and, and trying to create a production studio in Florida. It really did change the way the Disney company worked. And this was the first time you saw the hint of the corporation, where they were thinking about the bottom line and how they could be profitable. And now you've moved into the Bob Iger era where in Bob's era, it's really about corporate sustainability, profitability, and there's different motivations for how the company works. It's already a pretty well-established media giant at this point, and now it's about how do you grow the brand and grow the franchise and do more things and expand the reach of the company and how do you make it more profitable. Yeah, people want to come to Disney World. They want to go to Disneyland. The parks are more crowded than ever. How do you keep that and balance it so that they're always crowded, but yet they're crowded with people who are paying more? There's a story uh, that came out of the New York Yankees this past season where the Yankees wanted to control their ticket resales and they basically shut down all of the third-party resellers, StubHub and all these other ones, from selling Yankees tickets. And the reason they gave was kind of telling. The story basically went that one of the executives of the Yankees came out and said, look, we have people who spend a lot of money to buy reserved seating and uh, these, these premium seats like behind home plate and the club level and things like that. And when they spend you know, $2,000 a game to come to a game, and when someone can buy it on the secondary market for a dollar and a half, that's really not fair to the people who are spending $2,000 because you're bringing in the riffraff. Now, he didn't use the word riffraff, but he clearly intended to say it. So it's interesting because that's the perspective you're starting to see. If you have these premium customers who come in and want to come to Disney and are willing to spend a lot of money to stay at the Vacation Club properties, to spend on premium parties, to do different things, and are willing to to pre-order their food and buy the dining package and have everything else deluxe, they're the ones that you really want to coddle and protect, and those are the ones that you want to make the most money from. And everyone else that's buying a day pass, eh, they're secondary. I get it. 
but it's not ripe. That's not what this was all about. This was about a place where everyone could go, everyone could enjoy. And they're still on that line, no question about it. As a, as a day guest who doesn't stay in the, at the Disney hotels very often, I can tell you I can, I can still see it as a very fun place to go, and I still see the value proposition, and I still love going. But as I look to the horizon, I can almost see where that place goes away where it's not the same thing, where I have a completely different experience than someone else who goes to as a vacation club member because they feel entitled and they're spending more and they should get more. And that's where I have the problem. I hope that Disney continues to manage that line. It's a very fine line that you, that you manage, but you don't want to become the Yankees organization where everyone looks at you and goes, what? That just doesn't seem right. You want to be the company that everyone still loves and everyone still holds on to. Yeah, we still have that special place in our hearts for what Disney was, and now it's different, and I'm okay with different. I just want to make sure it's still fun and there's still value to be had there. I want to still make sure that I can take my kids and we can enjoy it, and it doesn't feel like we're going to see a corporation. I, I like to take it as it comes. I'm one of those people who doesn't like to Uber plan. I just don't. And so when, when you talk about, oh, you have to pre-order your meal, or you have to make reservations, and you have to do this, or you have to do that, otherwise you won't get in, it starts to make my head hurt a little bit, because that's not who I am. I like to just take it and fly with it. But they're trying to make sure that the people who are paying the most get the things that they want to be able to do. Again, I get it, but it just makes it a little more challenging for those of us who just want to go there. So anyway, there you go. That's my story about Disney and the ticket price changes and what's going on with the, with the parks. Like I said, you can read all about the ticket price changes and how the, how the hierarchy works. And I'm sure over the next few weeks, they'll start giving us more details about what that all means. But for the moment, we just know that it's changed and everything's different. Well, there you go. That's my podcast for this week. And, and as I promised, next time I will give you another podcast that I've already had recorded. And that is a detailed look at the Canada Pavilion at Epcot. And that's it. I'm out. Hope I didn't come across as negative because that was not my intent. It was just observational about all the things that are happening. Some good, some bads. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. And just one last request before I let you go. If you can, please support this podcast in any way you like. I have three ways of supporting me. Number one is the easiest, and it's free. Just head over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast and give me a quick review. Tell other people how great you think this podcast is, and it'll help grow the podcast. The second way is to go ahead and purchase one of the apps I have for sale over at DisneyPodcast.net or DisneyWorldPodcast.net. I create apps for iOS devices, so for Apple devices, your iPhones and your iPads, and I've got a couple that are Disney-related that you might enjoy. So take a look at those and see if any one of them might be interesting to you. And the third way is, I've recently set up a Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash DisneyView. And if you like... Just make a quick financial contribution. I'm happy to continue doing this regardless, but if you like the show and you'd like to contribute in some way, I'm always happy to take a small contribution. I'm not, there's no requirement, I'm not asking for much, but if you do give me a contribution, I'm happy to give you a shout out on this podcast in the future. Hey, thanks very much, and I hope you enjoy my podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading 
one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 